Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Broadlines Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, the Sixers, they're really good. The Sixers are good. Penn State basketball is fine. And I it snowed here, and I built a snowman on my balcony because uh, I was bored. <laughs> uh, so I'm currently sitting uh, at my desk admiring my work. Yeah, man. I mean, Penn State basketball, they're 42nd in Ken Palm. Like, before, we're doing this one day after the... Um, well, one day after their loss to Ohio State, which is number 15, and Ken Palm lost on the road in a closed basketball game. It's so funny, Matt, because I'm so used to seeing Penn State basketball being 5-7, and seven, and, you know, they're probably a little higher in Ken Palm than we would have anticipated, and some of the advanced metrics love them, and thinking, like, okay, this team is just a lost cause, but, like, they've played the second toughest ba- schedule in all of college basketball this year. The team that has played... The toughest schedule in all of college basketball is Northwestern, and they're 30 spots below Penn State and Kempom. Like, I feel like as long as Penn State hoops, and, and, and you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, it, it's been a little hard for us to really get into college basketball this season because of, of the circumstances under which the season's being played. But like, I feel like there is a, a path for Penn State basketball where if they can hover around the 500 mark or something, you know, this, this has the potential to be a team that sneaks into the back end of the NCAA tournament. They are the highest ranked sub 500 team in Ken Palm. Um, oh, so that's worth something. You know what they are in Ken Palm? In the hunt. They are number 42, which, yep. of course, is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. So I don't see how anything can go wrong the rest of the year for Penn State basketball. It, w- it was also Mariano Rivera's number. He's the greatest closer of all time, one of the greatest fishers of all time. And I don't want you tweeting anything about his personal life at me. But neither here nor there. Let's talk about Penn State football. It's been a minute since we have done the podcast. Last time we hopped on for a pod, uh, we were doing uh, a-, a-, a little bit of a look at new Penn State offensive coordinator Mike Yurisich with uh, our pal Kyle Boone of Pistols Firing. We're going to talk a little bit about Yurisich at the very end just because we haven't done something solely from our perspective, but it's been a hectic couple of weeks for Penn State football. We are doing this one right on the heels of a pair of announced transfers that are going to be happening. Will Levis out, going to be uh, ending his collegiate career somewhere else. Lance Dixon also out, unclear uh, where the former five-star linebacker prospect is going to be going. Again, a really hectic uh, couple of weeks in terms of roster turnover for Penn State football. And Matt, I want to talk through it. I want to go through all of it, go through uh, a couple of guys that I want to single out, and then we'll do uh, the big umbrellas for some of the other guys who left and then all of the guys who are coming in. But I think the place we have to start is Will Levis, uh, Penn State's backup signal caller who got a start or two in his career, uh, attempted 102 passes, completed 59.8% of them, 644 yards in his career, three touchdowns, two interceptions through the air, and then on the ground where he made his money, 133 carries, 473 yards, 3.6 yards per carry, and six touchdowns, three each of his two seasons in Happy Valley. Uh, I can't say it's surprising that he wants to move on Matt uh, when I consider him, his skill set, what we think Mike Yurisich's offense is going to be, and the fact that like it just seems like there's a really hard path 
to him ever starting for Penn State outside of, you know, kind of the disaster scenario that he started in last year. Yeah, especially in the short term. I think a really interesting thing about Levis's post is that he mentioned that he has three years of eligibility remaining because he does have the, the free year and he's not going to start this year. And who knows what Clifford's going to do with his extra year or who they bring in, in the transfer portal or what Veyu or Roberson turns into. But it, this move does make sense. And I wish nothing but the best to Will Levis. I think he's going to be really successful. And I think he's the kind of guy who can light it up at the G5 level. So I'm kind of curious to see how it shakes out. It, it does make sense to do it now. Um, I, I'm not as concerned as I think I would be because we recently got some pretty good confirmation from Sandy Barber that there's going to be spring ball in, in some form or fashion. So that's a huge boost because uh, otherwise your quarterback room looks really thin w- with just three scholarship quarterbacks. And, you know, I don't think one, only one has ever thrown a pass. Did Roberson ever throw a pass? Maybe one. I, I yeah, and I, I think he, I, no, I think he might have just been a handoff guy. Yeah, so I, I would feel a lot worse for, for, for Penn State um, in this scenario if there wasn't going to be spring ball. But that makes me feel a lot better. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to do what's best for you as a player. And uh, for Will Levis, if he thinks that's somewhere else, you know, best of luck to him. Uh, and and now it's next man up, and and I'm kind of curious to see you know, what they look to, if that's Roberson or if they look somewhere else in the transfer portal. So before we get into the transfer portal stuff, because I like, I think that's potentially, uh, I think this makes that a more plausible route for Penn State to take. I'm interested in one thing you said in there, and that's where you said he can light it up at the G5 level. I'm interested in asking, is that what you think he is going to do or do you think that is a matter of what he should do because he looks the part he has the legs he has a really strong arm we don't know where he is going to end up but it seems plausible to me that a power five school you know not a Clemson not an Alabama not that sort of thing would fall in love with his skill set and view him as this ball of clay that you have three years with so you what makes you think that it, the G5 level is, uh, y- you know, going to be what what's calling him? At some point, you have to move past being a ball of clay. And, and you teams have film of Will Levis. They know what he can do. He, he's a runner. He, he's probably going to be a run first no matter where he goes. So I'm always under the assumption if you're a, G, a power five school, especially one that wants to compete, you're not really taking a quarterback unless you're sure he's better than the guy. And I don't think, granted, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, Power 5 teams that would think this, but I think Will Levis is transferring because he wants to play, and I think his best chance for that is at the G5, and I don't know how many high-level Power 5 teams will have a spot for him. So I I think it's a good combination of that. Like, again, we, we, we have quarters and quarters of tape of Will Levis at this point, so coaches know what they're getting. And I just think a G5 team is going to be able to say to him, you come in, you're our starter day one. And I, and I don't think a power five team can offer that. I, I think, uh, I think that's fair. Like, I'm, I really do wonder and really do think that he's someone who is going to, again, just need one school to fall in love. And he has so much going for him that I can see someone falling in love with him pretty easily, but I, I, I do tend to uh, agree on him. And like you said, like all the best for him. I think that he's someone who uh, has the potential to be a really fun quarterback. He was always going to be a bit of a project. 
just doesn't just not going to see that project play out in Happy Valley. I'm I want to talk about where Penn State goes from here. Like th- there are no questions. I I don't think there were any questions uh, going into this upcoming season that it was going to be Sean Clifford's job, uh, not even job to lose. Like when I just think of what Mike Yurcich wants in a quarterback. I just don't think Will Levis can do that. And it was going to be Clifford the entire time. And this, I think, takes away any of the questions. Now the big question is what happens if, you know, a defensive lineman rolls awkwardly and he hurts his ankle and he's out for a couple of weeks and Penn State needs someone to step in. They have Daquan Roberson. They have Christian Veyu coming in as a true freshman. But I think, and this is just something that immediately popped into my mind, Matt. The one thing that we have been hearing for weeks and weeks and weeks before the season even ended about the transfer portal is how finicky it is bringing in a quarterback because you're, you know, it's not like what they did uh, with John Lovett at uh, running back where you can fold him in a little bit and give him a few carries here, here, here. If you're bringing someone in to play quarterback, there's only one quarterback position and only one person you could have play. And that obviously is a little bit trickier when you have Sean Clifford and you have Will Levis there and you're adding then a third name into the mix to compete for snaps. I now think that Penn State has an opening or an opportunity if they want to take it to go into the transfer portal and say, we just need a reliable option in case something happens to Sean. We don't need uh, a former high four-star recruit who has just never put it together and you know blocked for snaps, that sort of thing. They could just say, okay, someone who has been good at this level, someone who's been good at a lower level, come on in, you play Power 5 football, You'll get a couple of snaps every now and then. You'll come into our program. You'll get to say you played for a Power 5 school. Maybe you'll be able to get extended run in blowouts if anything happens or Sean, that sort of thing. But I think this changes the sort of quarterback they could look for in the transfer portal. If they decide to go that direction, they say, like, listen, we just don't like having three scholarship quarterbacks heading into the season. What do you think? Do you think it's a situation where Penn State can suddenly be a little more broad in what they're searching for in the portal? Or do you think there's a situation where, listen, new offensive coordinator coming in, brand new offense going to be coming in. Let's have three guys and have those three guys just get as many reps as possible in this new offense, Matt. So what you're telling me is you do not want Penn State to go out there and land Tate Martell. I mean, that would be funny. That would be so funny. That would be so funny if Penn State got Tate Martell. Um, I, I go back and forth on what I want uh, if they do go the transfer portal route. Because on one hand, Sean Clifford's probably the guy, and you're really just looking for an insurance policy. On the other hand, Sean Clifford's going to be a redshirt senior. Granted, he has the sixth year, but I don't think many people are going to take advantage of that. That's beyond the point. Do you want to get a guy who, similar to Levis, is about midway through his college career, and you think you bring him in, he learns for a year, the year really doesn't count for him, and you can get maybe a two-year starter out of a transfer guy? And to that, I, I look at a guy like, like a Luke McCaffrey from Nebraska. You know, He has Pennsylvania roots. You know, his, his grandfather is from my area. Shout out the 610. Like, there, there's 
dudes in the portal who are early enough in their career where you can still make them really promising quarterbacks. So it really depends on, on, on really what the staff wants in the short term, but also what they view as what comes after Sean Clifford. I, I think that makes sense. I mean, in a way, I really like the idea of let's save that scholarship. Let's add a second kid in 2022. Uh, and let's give Sean, let's give Taquan, let's give Christian as many snaps as they can get with the ones, the twos, and the th- you know twos and threes. In the case of a guy like Veyu, uh, a couple extra ones with the ones with Roberson if need be. But it, it just seems like an unnecessary risk for me. I don't like. I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want them to go star hunting to whatever extent it would be star hunting with a guy like one of the McCaffreys with a guy like, uh, you know, former Auburn quarterback Cord Sandberg, uh, who was a four-star recruit back when he was in high school. It's a great name. It's a very good name. And I don't think Penn State should go after him because that young man needs to go to Georgia. Uh, another kid, you know, Jace Rudder, who, uh, I think Penn State might have looked at when he was in high school. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, the only time I'll ever say we have the wrong Matt on the podcast. Uh, but he was another four-star uh, sort of kid. I, th- I I don't know if I want to see them go in that direction or if I want to see them go with a guy who, uh, you know, was a really good signal caller at a lower-level group power five school, a high level group of five school won't rock the boat. Uh, that sort of thing. You know, like if they got Alan Bowman from Texas tech, that'd be really cool, but neither here nor there it opens up some options for them. And I think that when it, what we've seen with James Franklin in this portal, and we'll talk about this a little bit later is that when they have options, they've been pretty good at identifying guys and reeling them in. So that's a situation I want to keep an eye on. Uh, Matt, a situation that I perpetually want to keep an eye on is Penn State at defensive tackle, and that is because Antonio Shelton uh, is leaving uh, Penn State after a lengthy career in the blue and white. He's going to be heading down to Gainesville to join Justin Shorter at the University of Florida. Uh, This is one that I... You know, him transferring wasn't, like, a mega shock to me. Uh, you know, just an older guy uh, could get a change scenery, that sort of thing. I don't know about a, you. A I was six-year guy, no less. Six-year guy. Yeah. I was really surprised when I heard that he was going to Florida. Just because that's like, when you hear that a guy of, you know, of his age is transferring. I think your assumption is he's going to go someplace where he's going to get a lot of run, where he's going to be able to pad his stats uh, for a year or two. And quite frankly, I'm like impressed that he's decided I'm going to go down to the SEC and I'm going to challenge myself a little bit more. Yeah, I thought we were heading for, uh, all right, I have three years of solid to good film at Penn State. Let's see if I can get a great year of film at like a bowling green. Like I'm actually really surprised he went this route. You know, good for him. You know, bet on yourself if that's what you feel like you want to do. Um, I don't really get the move if you were going to come back for a sixth year. Maybe he just wanted to change a pace. Say college is cold, and it's it's cold for a long time to be there for six years. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know how to take – I don't really know what to take away from this because in any other year, we'd be moving on from Antonio Shelton anyway. 
So it's kind of a, I don't know. I don't really see it as that big of a loss. You know, it always stinks to see guys want to go, but this seemed more or less that he was just, uh, he was done with Penn state more than uh, he was unhappy with the situation. So curious to see how that plays out. That, that That's a whole new level of grind. I hope it pays off for him. Uh, but, but the jury's out on that one. That's a, that's a really interesting move. And in terms of Penn state, like you mentioned something before we hopped on a, a, a little inside baseball for you folks. We talk about things before we podcast. You mentioned something before we started podcasting. Mostly nonsense in the Sixers, but mo- there's some good stuff. Yeah, we, we, we mostly talk Sixers. Uh, but one thing you mentioned in between the Sixers chat was that this could be a bit of a blessing in disguise for Penn State. Not to say that Anton- like Antonio Shelton was a very reliable player. He was good at what Penn State needed him to do. All those sorts of things. But... Him staying at Penn State meant that his defensive tackle spot was locked in. He was starting. He was playing. He was going to get the most run at that position. And for how flawed Penn, you know, Penn State doesn't have a ton of answers next to PJ Mustafer. We'll talk about a grad tra- uh, the transfer they added a little bit later. But this now, I disagree there. But we'll, I'll digress. Uh, you disagree with what? I think they have a lot of answers. I think well, they have well, a lot of dudes who can match Shelton's performance. Th- what I was going to say is they don't have a guaranteed answer. They don't have a known commodity, but they have to steal a, a phrase by noted person Sam Hinkie, a lot of bites at the apple for that spot next to PJ Mustafer. Whether they decide it's going to be Fred Hansard, whether it's going to be Anais Hawkins, uh, Hakeem Beeman, Devon Ellis. One of the younger dudes they have, whether it's one of the freshmen from the class of 2020 or a guy uh, like Joseph Apaya Darkwell, if, uh, if they think he's progressed. Joey Darkweb. <laughs> if they think he's Best progressed. Instagram in the world. If you out, follow Joseph out, Dark on Instagram, you've got to follow him on Instagram. He, my favorite thing he does is that he does a lot of Instagram Q&As, and it'll just be a bunch of people asking him what's up, and he'll just say stuff like chilling. Like, nothing else. It, it's, ve- it's very wholesome. Uh, but yeah, so... Uh, to try and get us back on track. I think we're saying the same thing. You're just saying that you feel confident that there is someone there. And I want, I think that Shelton weaving means it gives them an opportunity to figure out who that person is. Yeah. uh, What I was saying before the pod to you, Bill was that Shelton's great, but he's going to take reps away from guys who are ready. And I think that's a huge, huge bummer. And that's a weird way to word this. But again, in any other series of college football, like stretch of years, this wouldn't be an issue. So it's kind of a moot point at the end of the day. But I think Hakeem Beeman, I think um, Derek Tangelo, I think Fred Hansard, I think are all guys who have the potential to fill in. And I think a combination of those three, frankly, is a better than a combination of, of three guys that would include Antonio Shelton. Interesting. I mean, there, like we said, there are just so many options, so many guys who have had four stars next to their name that I have to think they'll figure something out. I do think they are going to miss. Shelton seemed like he was able to, guys gravitated for towards him. He had a sense of leadership, a sense of authority about him. And I do think that's going to be something that Penn State misses, but in terms of just on the Especially field with Sean Spencer gone, I yeah. think he really took on that kind of role for, mm-hmm. for a group of guys who were still trying to get used to a position coach who they probably didn't get to spend that much time with because of a, a very stupid pandemic. Yeah. Well, yeah, 
Yeah, that, that, that's not wrong. Uh, but while Shelton is kind of one end of the spectrum in terms of we know what he is, we know exactly who he's going to be, blah, 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 blah all that. The other end of the spectrum is the other big name that I want to talk about, a signal out that Penn State lost, and that's Lance Dixon. Uh, depending on the scouting service, he was a four- or a five-star recruit. He was the number 13 recruit by 24-7's internal rankings, uh, four-star on their composite rating. Uh, announced that he was going to hit the portal. There's no word on where he's going to be going. But, Matt, this is the one... You know, I'm not worried about losing Levis. I'm not worried about losing Hawkins. I'm a bit worried about losing Lance Dixon because I think he has the potential to be a really special football player. I I do too. It's tough to know because really, re- recruiting rankings are, are are so are so finicky. And 24/7 Sports had him so much higher than any other service. And I, and I think generally they do a really good job. And I think Lance Dixon could have been a good player. But if we're being honest, he got passed in the depth chart this year by a true freshman, by Curtis Jacobs. Like, it sucks to lose a high-caliber guy so early in his career, but there's there's room behind him. Like, simply at outside linebacker alone, you got Brandon Smith, you know, you got Curtis Jacobs. The staff loves Charlie Catcher, and it's a shame we didn't really get to see him that much last year because I'm curious what he is. Like, there are dudes who can play football there. Um Obviously, you'd love to keep him, and I still hope, you know, no matter where he ends up, probably going to be Michigan. That's where his high school coach is, uh, and, and I hope he's great for them. Um, just naturally, no one ever wants to watch a kid say, I probably made the wrong decision. Like, that that always stinks. Um, but I think Penn State's pretty well equipped. In, in a perfect world, he doesn't leave, but I think Penn State's linebacker room in 2021 is very different than what we thought it was going into 2020. We know a lot more. We know who plays well where. I think we've learned that lesson. Uh, so I think there are dudes who can step up and really fill some holes here. And even if they have to dip into the portal, there's some names in the portal that I think would make a lot of sense there, too. Him going to Michigan is the big thing that like concerns me, uh, just because I have no doubt in my mind if he goes to Michigan, he's going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL. Like That just seems like something that's assuredly going to happen. But yeah, like I love the idea of having a, a a ball of clay that you can kind of turn into whatever you want uh, to turn him into. And like, that's what I ultimately think is unfortunate to me is that I think he has potential to be a really, really good football player and Penn State's just losing out on getting a chance to go along with him on this journey. I mean, I'm looking at his stats right now. Uh, last year, 10 total tackles, two and a half tackles for loss and a forced fumble. He appeared uh, in five games. Again, he was a, a, a very nice football player, uh, a guy with a ceiling that is pff, like you watch his high school tape. Dude is a heat seeking missile. I hope that he, wherever he ends up, he ends up being a really good football player, uh, except for when he is playing Penn state, obviously. But when it comes to Penn state, Matt, like you mentioned, when you look at the depth chart, they have a pair of options in the middle in Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lukita. Then the guys that they are going to have flying around them, Brandon Smith, Charlie Catcher, like you mentioned, staff seems to love him. Curtis Jacobs, really talented kid. Zariah Fisher, really talented kid. Tyler Elsden, they're... I do think Zariah Fisher is going to move to end uh, at some point, if not this year. So I'm not, I'm not going to factor him in there too much. Right, that, 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 that's totally fair. Uh, Tyler Elsden, another kid who could potentially play inside linebacker. Uh, and then they are bringing in uh, Jabari Button, who they seem to think has potential to be really, really good. So 
I will never be too worried about who Penn State has at linebacker. It's more of the fact that they are going to be losing him that has me uh, a little spooked. I mean, uh, you you agree, though. If he goes to Michigan, he's like, every time he plays Penn State, dude is going to just light them on fire, right? He's going to do that thing where Jabril Peppers won Big Ten Linebacker of the Year. Over who was great for Penn State that year? Was that Mike Hole when Mike Hole totally should have won it? Mm, yeah, I feel I like that's so. gonna. Ha- I feel like that's gonna happen, and it's gonna be awful. It's gonna feel like the Troy Reader transfer did, because now all of a sudden Troy Reader's out here racking up like 14 tackles a game in the NFL for the Rams, and it's gonna be like, really? How did how did we let this happen? God damn it! Uh, they th- this is not the list, the uh, finish list of players that Penn State uh, is losing to the transfer portal. Uh, Quarterback Micah Bowens has hopped into the portal and raised, I I, I know, my eyebrows when it was announced he was heading to Oklahoma on a scholarship. No disrespect to Micah Bowens at all, just didn't see that one coming. Uh, C.J. Thorpe hit the portal, no word where he is going to end up. Uh, Judge Culpepper went into the portal, he is going to Toledo. And Trent Gordon portaled going to Arkansas. Uh, Matt, is there anything about those four players uh, who are hopping into the portal that you feel especially strongly about one way or another? Uh, I like Trent Gordon. He left before the season ended, so that's that was kind of expected. Um yeah, Bowens, uh, uh, he didn't even get an Oklahoma offer out of high school. So, hey, good for him. Um, I hope he I hope he sees the field. If, if, um, oh, okay, so listen, I love Penn State. Uh, I want every good football player to come to Penn State. If you were a quarterback and your options are play football for Penn State or go to Oklahoma, I don't want you to think about it. Just go to Oklahoma. Yeah, that is absolutely the right decision there. Uh, Judge Culpepper seemed promising, but I, I think Penn State has some really great talent who kind of kind of forced him out. And C.J. Thorpe is going to rack up like 30 tackles for loss in two years as a defensive tackle wherever he ends up. <laughs> He's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm super jealous Penn State couldn't convince him to stay and be a defensive tackle for them because that would have been fun. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, it, it's interesting because I've oh my, oof. real quick. Did you uh, are do you know what the score of the Rutgers Michigan State game ended up being? Oh God! Here's the thing: you could tell me either one was a blowout, and I'd probably believe you because both those teams are pretty good. Uh, what was it? Rutgers won by thirty. Oh my God! Wait, it gets better. Rutgers scored sixty-seven points. Oh my God! <laughs> First time Rutgers has ever beaten the Spartans. Yeah, and they beat per, they per held them, and they held up to thirty seven points. Gee, good award, uh, college basketball. Mark, I really love this season of college basketball in the sense that it's making all of these sixty five year old coaches want to pull out their hair. Like between Coach K and and John Calipari, and now probably D'Antonio, not D'Antonio, Tom Izzo. Yeah, Tom is a good lord. Uh, never. A- anyway, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, C.J. Thorpe is kind of the big name uh, of this group uh, insofar as, you know, he was a four-star kid, Penn State legacy. Uh, had a weird career, both in terms of his move over to defensive tackle and how he, you know, always seemed to rotate uh, along the offensive line, uh, but never got the chance to... Uh, hold on to a position and like, let's be honest, like it's not like he 
was able to avoid being his own worst enemy. There were a number of times where it seemed like he just got a little bit too aggressive. He was trying to fire up his teammates. It ended up costing Penn State 15. And those, and he gets pulled. And then a guy like Mike Miranda or Des Holmes gets put in there. So a tough spot for him. Uh, interested in seeing where he goes. Uh, Trent Gordon and Judge Culpepper, you know, two guys I wanted to see get a chance. They never really did. Can't blame him for moving on. And then Bowens, whoo! Good war. Like, when I heard he was transferring, I thought it was going to be like UNLV or something like that. The fact that he's going to Oklahoma and he's going on a scholarship. Get your money. Like, good job, man. Like, please do not take that as an assumption that I was uh, I was saying Oklahoma paid him to come there. I was mostly just using that as a turn of phrase. Like, that's good for him. Like, if you're going into that offense, which just churns out pros and churns out Heisman Trophy winners and gives you easy throws and lets you move use your legs, that's a really, really good spot for any quarterback, let alone a guy like Micah Bowens, who I think we could probably safely say wasn't going to get see the field at Penn State uh, maybe ever. So, interesting couple of moves there. And then, Matt, look at the other direction. Players who are going to be coming in in uh, from Penn State. Uh, at running back, John Lovett uh, of Baylor, along the offensive line, Harvard's Eric Wilson, uh, defensive line, a pair of players, uh, defensive tackle, Derek Tangelo uh, from Duke, and defensive end, Arnold uh, Evakiti from Temple, and then in the secondary, John Dixon from South Carolina. The thing that interests me here, Matt, is that when I look at these guys, Lovett is a senior. Wilson is a redshirt senior. Uh, Evaketti is a redshirt senior. Tangelo is a senior. Uh, only guy of that group who isn't a senior is Dixon. He's a junior. Penn State did not go out into the portal and get a bunch of dudes uh, just to get a bunch of dudes to add depth uh, to its offense, it went out. It got a bunch of experienced, battle-tested dudes from a bunch of respectable football programs, and I have to assume that they, every single one of them, to one extent or another, is going to be competing for an opportunity to get on the field. Penn State got at least three starters. I think Wilson starts. I think Tangelo starts. I think uh, how do you pronounce Arnold's last name? Ibikite. Uh, Ebiketti, I believe. Ebiketti. Yeah, those are three starters. Eric Wilson's gonna probably going to start at right guard. Tangelo at the other defensive tackle and, and Ebiketti at defensive end. Dixon's probably going to be the third corner, if I were to bet. And I think Lovett's going to get a lot of run. You wouldn't come here if you didn't think you were going to get a lot of run. So we'll, we'll see what happens, how, how healthy Noah Kane is or, or kind of what else the running back room has in store. Like, these are dudes that show Penn State is not expecting to have a long rebuild. They're expecting to get back in it and compete for that Big Ten title once again. And these are dudes who I think are all upgrades from what Penn State currently had on the roster, with the exception of maybe Tangelo, because I think really highly of that defensive tackle room. But even still, he would probably still be in that battle for a starting spot um, in any other given year, too. Yeah, a bit of productivity from both guys along the defensive line. Uh, last year, uh, Tangelo from the defensive tackle spot, 40 tackles, uh, 20 solo, 16 assisted, two sacks, uh, and three forced fumbles. Um, Ebiketti... One solo for an interior defensive mm -hmm. lineman is insane. And then That's Ebi... really impressive. Uh, 
Ebiketti in six games, 42 tackles, uh, 28 solo, 14 assisted, four sacks, three forced fumbles. Uh, so seven tackles a game from defensive end, like at six four two forty. 240, uh, Tangelo, 6'2", 3'10". Guys who... Seem like they can physically hold up to Big Ten football. Uh, Lovett had a uh, nice career at Baylor uh, across four years, 355 carries, 1,083 yards, 17 touchdowns. Also caught the ball 29 times for 183 yards and a score. Uh, and then when it comes to Wilson and Dixon, uh Dixon is a former three-star recruit, uh, was someone who visited Penn State uh, when he was a recruit. Terry Smith is familiar with him. Uh, gives them some size and some length, six foot, 170 at cornerback. And then Wilson, really, really good football player, was a three-star recruit uh, from Minnesota, ended up going uh, to Harvard. I believe he was either uh, an all-conference player or... Uh, close to being an all-conference player uh, during his uh, d- during his year at Harvard. He sat out uh, last season. Now he's coming to Penn State, and you know, Matt, I think when you're looking at grad transfer offensive linemen, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not just saying this because he went to Penn State, but he's also a really good uh, reference point. You think of a guy like Kevin Reiner, who you're bringing in to just kind of exist. You're not exactly bringing them in uh, to give you much of anything. But you look at Penn State's offensive line. They have a left tackle. Uh, they have a right tackle in, uh, you know, they have Caden Wallace over on that side. Uh, and they have Rasheed Walker on the left. At one guard position, they have Juice Scruggs. At center, they have Mike Miranda, or whatever they end up doing there. And they have a few other bodies that they can possibly uh, plug and see what they do. You know, a guy like Des Holmes or Bryce Effner. Uh, that's those sorts of dudes. But there is a spot on the line, and it is one that I think Eric Wilson could potentially fill. I look at all of this, and I look at what James Franklin is doing. And it's something that we've mentioned, but I really think it bears repeating. Penn State tries to be really careful with this stuff. We've seen over the years that they are very particular with who they are bringing in as a transfer. And I think they did the same thing here. You look at the guys that they brought in. They were productive college players at other major programs. You know, I, I, I'm at a position where I just think Penn State, they see an opportunity to do something this year, and they went out and they got guys who are going to help them try and do something this year. Uh, real quick on Dixon, there is also the, uh, the John Scott Jr. connection. Um, so a guy he's familiar with, even though we never really probably coached him, uh, interacted for sure. Um, I just want to ho- ho- uh, hone in here on Eric Wilson real quick because he didn't so much opt out so much as the Ivy League. Is the Ivy League even going to play in the spring? Do we know that yet? Uh, God, I, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone really knows. I don't think they know. But I think he's the kind of guy you, you can bring in, and he has a Harvard degree. He's going to pick up this offense crazy quick, and, and everybody has to learn this offense from scratch. So he's not really coming in that far behind the eight ball. 
And I liked what Penn State had in Des Holmes or Juice Scruggs. You know, one of them is going to start a guard uh, regardless. But I think Aaron Wilson is automatically an upgrade right there and a guy you can plug in at probably right guard. And I think that gives Penn State one of the best offensive lines we've seen in in such a long time. And and they need to take that step forward. And I think they will in uh, in year two under Phil Troutwine with the guys they have back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a... It's something that has me excited as a Penn State fan, as someone who follows this program. Uh, there, there is reason for optimism here. I'm excited to see what uh, all of these guys, because all of them really do have pats to play uh, to one extent or another. You know, we, it, it's easy to see, easiest to see for a guy like Wilson or a guy like Tangelo. Uh, you know, Ebiketti may probably is in a similar situation. Maybe it's a little bit tougher for Dixon and Lovett considering some of the other talent around them. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's five guys who hopefully make Penn State better, and that's all you can really ask for in this kind of situation. I want to look uh, to move on to some of the other decisions that we've seen, uh, NFL decisions in one way or another. Uh, I'm just going to go down the list Matt, uh, that we have on our site. Uh, we could talk about all of them real quick, starting with Jahan Dotson. Uh, I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he left, but considering how good this receiver class is and considering the fact that, you know, he could put up really big numbers in this next Penn State offense, I think it makes sense that he came back, and I think... I know you are going to say this, but I think he has the potential to put off some absolutely bonkers numbers next year. I've said this before. I I grew up in the same area as Jahan Dotson, and we overlapped in high school by a year. He was a freshman when I was a senior. And there's been two dudes who I, like, watched play, and I'm like, yeah, this dude's next level. And one was Saquon, and number two was Jahan. I am so thrilled he decided to run it back for one more year. He is not the best athlete. He probably wouldn't have tested well. If he's going to boost his stock, it's going to be from another year of really good production. So him coming back makes sense. And I think it's such a big boost to this offense, especially for Sean Clifford, especially for Mike Yersich. Like what Jahan Dotson can give you now with a year under his belt as the guy to, to have that confidence, to know that he can lead this team and, and frankly lead the Big Ten in, in receptions and receiving yards and all that kind of fun stuff it is so huge. He's going to be such a force. And I don't think it's unrealistic to say he's in the Belenikov hunt later in the year. I hope so. That'd be fun. Yeah, he's absolutely going to be in that position uh, in large part because Penn State doesn't really have a second major option because Pat Fryer is also heading to the NFL. Um, Least surprising thing of all time, Matt? Sorry, I was muted. Um, Yeah, least surprising thing of all time. It would have been cool if he came back. That would have been fun. No, um, I, I would have been upset. I would have, I want Pat to go get his money at this point. Like Matt, Pat, please go to the NFL, man. I, I'm a big, I'm, I'm all, all aboard the Britain Strange Hive. Um, so, you know, good for Pat. I hope he goes somewhere cool. Hope he goes, oh, I can't say he hope he goes to the Bears because the Bears have a thousand tight ends. Um, I don't know. Go to like the Jets and lead the Jets back to the promised land. That'd be fun. No, 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 my friend. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and the answer is the Buffalo Bills. 
Yeah, I saw you tweeted that. That would be great if him on the Bills. I feel like he, the Bills fans would love him. Bills fans would love him, and also like they have no tight end, and they don't have a reliable second option who is not um, who is not uh, Stephon Diggs. So like, yeah, I, like that that just seems like the option for him. Uh, I I would like to see him uh, head there. Uh, next up, offensive line a little bit more. Um, a little bit more activity there. Rashid Walker opted to come back. Uh, Will Fries, Michael Mennett to the NFL. I, I'm, I would have been shocked if either Fries or Mennett came back. Matt, just guys who have been around forever. It's time for them to make the jump. Walker surprised me a little, just because there's always going to be a market for that kind of player. Um, having said that, it's Penn State's benefit, and he's now in a position where. With his physical profile, he is a big year. He can see his name fly up draft boards and, you know, maybe be a first round, maybe be a day two kind of guy. Uh, Mennett was a definite. Fries I could have seen coming back it, it, just to get more reps at guard. Um, but Rashid Walker, uh, he's a guy who definitely would have found probably like a fourth round ceiling right now. And him coming back probably means he has a chance to maybe, maybe, maybe sneak into the first round. I think he's that talented. And I, I think Phil Troutwine's such a good coach to get him there. Um, so I think that that coming back was definitely a long-term play. And also, you know, that's just great for Penn State. That proves redshirt and him is worth it. it. It always stinks to see guys leave after just two years of actual uh, on-field production. So I, I'm excited he's going to come back. I think he can be a really, really big force for them. Uh, sorry, I, I, I too was muted. Uh, moving on to defensive line, uh, Jason Owe to the NFL. That's one that I, I, I'm going to want to... Man, I'm so mad at this. That is one that I'm going to want uh, to talk about a bit. Uh, Shane Simmons moving on. He's decided he's going to go pursue a career in business. Uh you know, I, I think I speak for every Penn State fan where and I say I hope Shane Simmons uh, is stupid rich by the time uh, he's 30 years old. Uh, Shaka Tony also moving on to the NFL. Again, no surprise there. Uh, the OA thing, what camp are you in, Matt? Because this has turned into a very, very fun uh, kind of line in the sand thing among Penn State fans. Look, I, I, I'm all for potential. Guys can be productive when drafted on potential. We've seen it time and time again. He had no sacks this year. He 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 got a PFF grade of like a thousand because every time he rushes the passer, he gets behind offense linemen who are slower than him and forces quarterbacks to step up. But he didn't get home, and it's maddening to me that he never put it together. And I think that's really no fault of his own. And I think it's such a bummer that really didn't make sense for him to come back for another year because he's still going to go in the first round because he's going to test so well. I I'm bummed about it. I would have loved to have seen him come back, but if I'm 20 years old and you tell me I'm going to be a first round draft pick, I'm taking it every time, every single time. So it's, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow for Penn state, especially with what they have at defensive end. It's, it's a pretty thin position room, but I'm never going to fault the guy for going out there and trying to get paid when all signs point to him getting a lot of money right off the bat. So what I'll say about the no sacks thing is this. When you look across Penn State's defensive line, Shaka Tony was a 
was pretty good at getting home. That was basically it. Antonio Shelton, that's not his game. P.J. Mustafer, that's not his game. Opposing offensive lines would be able to try and pu- figure out how to slow down Oway. The other thing with Jason Oway is that look at Penn State's back seven. Its linebackers were a bunch of guys who were either pretty slow and not great against the pass that way, or young and raw and were learning how to get better against the pass as the season goes on. You look in the secondary, they had Joey Porter Jr., who was a reliable option. Jaquan Brisker did a nice job, but you look at the cornerback across from Porter and how there was just no consistency or reliability there. Same for when they would have a nickel corner. They had Lamont Wade at corner, who we'll talk about, or at safety, who we'll talk about in a second, who, uh, again, really, uh, he was very much a boomer bust type of player. Opposing defensive lines were able, knew what was coming with OA. He was still able to get past them, and then opposing receivers and quarterback. Matt, you are the you're, you're the one who wrote for the site about quarterbacks having career days against Penn State. One thing that every offense knows is to get the ball out quickly against Penn State, and I think I think Jason Oway is the guy who really suffered the most against most with that. He would always get behind a defense, an offensive lineman. He would be on his way to the quarterback and he would not be able to get home because the quarterback got the ball out of his hands. He created a ton of havoc. He pressured quarterbacks like crazy. That PFF grade that you mentioned, that wasn't a joke. He was also a first or second team All Big Ten selection despite the low sack number. And I think he's going to be a guy who When he gets to the NFL, and I do think he's going to be a first-round draft pick, he's going to need to bulk up a little bit, but he's going to be a pass rush specialist, and he's going to get home, and we're going to see how some of the structural flaws of Penn State's defense impacted him in a negative way, because I think... What he is as a bit of a ball of clay is something that that if he goes to a good NFL defensive coordinator, he's going to do some really good stuff. Yeah, I I think where he's set to get drafted is going to put him on a really good team. And I think that takes away a lot of the pressure from him uh, and really allows him to more or less take his time, because I think he could be a guy who really benefits from like a pseudo redshirt year at the professional level. Yeah, that's a pseudo redshirt year or like only getting it on passing downs, like not has to be a four, a three down defensive lineman, that sort of thing. Uh, moving to cornerback, Tariq Castro Fields ended up coming back, which that one surprised me. We still Heck don't, yeah. we still don't know why uh, he did so much warming up and then uh, just didn't play in games. We don't know if it was injury. We don't know what was going on with him, but he's back next year and he's had his issues over uh, the years, but he's still a talented guy and a guy who's played some good football for Penn state. And this gives Penn state a lot of, uh, I don't want to say certainty because nothing is certain, but it has to make them feel pretty confident that they have their top two cornerbacks figured out heading into next season. TCF has played good ball when he's healthy. And no matter how you spin it, he can play. Um, he, obviously, it stinks that his career hasn't gone the way we hoped. But him coming back for one more ride gives him one last shot uh, 
to prove that those flashes are more than just flashes, that he can be a really, really dominant corner. And if him and Joey Porter Jr. are both playing like we know they can play, combine that with, you know, John Dixon, you know, hopefully Marquise Wilson can refine his form, Keaton Ellis, you know, whatever happens with him. Like, this is a team that people should be afraid to throw against, and that has literally never been the case under Brent Pry. And if he can step up, man, this is this is a whole new ballgame for this defense. And then Penn State had, uh, you know, Kept one, lost one at safety. Jaquan Brisker ended up uh, deciding to return to Happy Valley. Again, that's one of those ones that uh, surprised me a little bit just because with how, you you know, he's an older dude. I figured he would have moved on by now. Lamont Wade, unsurprisingly, making the jump uh, to the NFL. Uh, Matt, I'm not surprised uh, one way or another on Wade. Like, it just... He's flirted with leaving Penn State in the past. Uh, opportunity arise for him to go play professional football. He's going to go play professional football. All the best to him as he tries to do that. Uh, you know, we can talk about his pro prospects in a second, but I want to talk about Brisker first. That one really, really surprised me. Uh, I figured he would have moved on uh, and put Penn State secondary in a, you know, not this wouldn't be his fault or anything, but what about Penn State's safety position in a bit of a tough spot because they just don't have a lot of answers there. I think he gives them a little bit of solidity at safety that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I think Brisker's in a similar camp as Rasheed Walker. I think he got some really good advice in that you're going to be picked and you're going to get a really good shot. But if you come back for one more year and if you have a really good season and, and Brisker played a lot better down the stretch, and I think he can carry that over um, into uh, into 2021 here. Um, but but him coming back really, really sets him up to fly up draft boards because he's a physical freak. He's really only played a year and a half of Division One college ball. So to be able to put more on tape is going to be huge. Penn State needed somebody back in that safety room or else we were in trouble there. Uh, so, so I think him coming back is, is, is huge, both in terms of Brisker's going to benefit a ton and, and Penn State's going to benefit a ton. Uh, and then Lamont Wade, um, weird career is the, is the way that I think. Uh, to say the least. To say the least. And, you know, he came in as this, like, very highly touted cornerback recruit. Uh, they did something that I get annoyed by uh, with Penn State, which is they moved him to safety instead of just keeping him at corner. Never fully worked out. And then also he had that one game against Ohio State where him and Micah Parsons damn near willed Penn State to a win. So, like we said, a weird career. Someone who I think is going to... Uh, you know, at his size, it's going to be really hard for him to stick in the NFL. Uh, you, you know, you, I think everyone would want to compare him to a guy like Teron Matthew, but I just don't think his, uh, it, no fault of his own, because Teron Matthew is like a, a freak of nature in this regard. I just don't think his like instincts are at, uh, at Matthew's level, which again is because I think Teron Matthew is just quite, quite, quite good. Uh, but yeah, Matt, I, I mean, it's hard 
to say, well, like, it'd be hard to say, like, he just never turned into the player that I thought he could be, but unfortunately that's the truth, and I will never know if him sticking at corner would have helped him achieve that or what, but uh, Lamont Wade's tenure in Happy Valley is over. It, it was probably time for, for them to part ways. Um, I hope Lamont, if Lamont's going to make a roster, it's going to be as a special teamer to start, and then we'll see what happens from there. And I think literally every person listening to this podcast would gladly take that career if that's what that turns into. So uh, good probably to go their separate ways at this point. Um, and I wish him nothing but the best. And I hope he, he's able to hang around the NFL for a couple years. Want to talk Mike Yersich? I would love to talk Mike Yersich. Let's talk Mike Yersich. I mean, like I mentioned, this is the first podcast that we are doing since Penn State uh, made the really surprising decision to move on from Kirk Shiraka and bring on board Mike Yersich, the former offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, had a number of other stops on his career and best known for his time at Oklahoma State, spent a year at Ohio State, spent a year at Texas, and now he is coming to Happy Valley. Uh, Matt, first off, what did you think of the decision to part ways with Kirk Shiraka when Penn State parted ways with Kirk Shiraka. Because I I still think that was a very, very, very surprising move, a very difficult move, but I think it's going to turn out to be a pretty good one. That's a big boy move. That's that's a move you make if you want to compete. I've always said, like, We've seen these elite programs realize if if you want to win, you do what's best for you. And loyalty has a place. But like uh, going back to like the the reason Ohio State probably didn't win a national title um, a couple of years ago was because they kept JT Baird over in over Dwayne Haskins. Like teams are starting to realize that you have to go with what's best for you in that moment. Like Tua started over Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts did nothing wrong. Like I know there's our players and coaches are different, but it's the same general concept. Like I think Kirk Shiraka could have been good in Happy Valley. I think Mike Yurcich can be just a little bit better. And he's clearly the guy Franklin wants to build his offense around and a guy I think they can keep around for more than a few years. For sure. And the thing that really excites me in talking with uh, Kyle about this is that it seems like he's going to build an offense or want to build an offense in which Penn State is going to attack people. And I felt like when Ricky Ronnie was Penn State's offensive coordinator, it wasn't re- it lacked a ruthlessness about it. Uh, and there were, of course, some other potential mitigating factors there that, uh, y- you know, in terms of who they had at wide receiver, uh, you know, Trace McSorley, uh, not quite looking like himself down the street, those sorts of things. Uh, then the same thing with Sean Clifford with both of his offense coordinators, again, just never felt like they attacked to the extent that I wanted them, uh, to attack. If there is one thing that it seems like Mike Yurcich is going to want to do, it's going to be attack. It's going to be attack you at all three levels of the defense. You actually did a bit of a film breakdown uh, right after he was hired, Matt. What stuck out to you as you were looking back on what Mike Yurcich wanted to do on offense? I'm debating on what I want to call this offense. If it, if I want to call it the NASA offense or the Space Force offense, can I get your thoughts? Uh, let's go NASA. Well, well, I, like I, I, I think it were, I think I also have to know why you want to give it a nickname, and then I can have some context as to uh, 
as to what to call it, but please continue. So in my film study, I love doing these. These are always stupid fun. He schemes to space. His entire thing is that he is confident his athletes are better than the other guys, and he is going to scheme the ball to a spot, and the next player has to run to it. Like, his offense is so fascinating because, by at large, it's only, like, six or seven different routes, but who runs them and where they run them to are so different each time, which I think is a really, really big element of the Joe Moorhead offense as well. So I think it's going to look very familiar to Penn State fans, but it's going to be so much different from what we saw under Ricky Ronnie and Kirk Sharaka. It's like such a weird mix because it feels different, but it's going to look the same. I don't It's difficult to explain, but but when you watch it, the entire point is I'm going to put my receiver or my running back or my tight end in a position where their job is either to get open or to confuse the hell out of, out of a defensive back. And that's it. And that's going to get dudes open like crazy. And the other thing is he's going to be walking into a situation where the skill that he is going to have, like just look at what Penn state's offense is. It's running back room is so good that I don't know where Devin Ford what one of Devin Ford or Keziah Holmes might get squeezed out this season, and both of them are really, really, really good. It's wide receiver depth chart. Jahan Dotson, uh, who knows what ends up happening with Daniel George, Cam Sullivan, Brown, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, and the flashes they showed. The freshman talent that they have coming in is quite intriguing. Then they have a bunch of guys who have been in the program. Tight end's a bit of a question mark, but they still have some guys. Uh, Tyler Johnson, Brenton Strange... Got good run last year. Zach Coons, former high four-star recruit. Offensive line's really reliable. There is so much, so much talent on this offense that outside of the game that they're going to have to play against Ohio State, they're going to have more talent than the other team in every other game. I want to ask you about Sean Clifford in this offense, though, because this is his third offense in three years as a starting quarterback. This is going to be an offense that I think is going to um, be pretty reliable. You know, it's going to be able to make life a little bit easier on him. He's going to have a running game that he trusts. He's a receiver, a wide receiver number one that he knows and trusts. But Penn State's aspirations are going to be tied to what Sean Clifford is able to do in this offense. What do you think about his role in this? What do you think this means for him specifically because he is the question mark. He like he is the difference between this being a fun offense that has some has its flashes or this being a fun offense that is able to compete for a Big Ten championship. Uh one quick thing. You said it's gonna be his third offensive coordinator in three years. This will be his fourth offensive coordinator in five years, which is just Yeah, yeah, yeah. Te- technically yes. Absolutely insane. I think Clifford can be more than a game manager in this. If you look at the quarterbacks who've run this offense, especially Sam Ellinger, I think it's an offense that can be adjusted to game managers, but then can be elevated to players who can be better than that. So wherever you think Clifford falls, 
it's probably somewhere in between game manager and, and, and so like, it's probably in between Sam Ellinger and Mason Rudolph in terms of players who have run this offense in terms of passing the ball. I think he can be somewhere in that range. So I think Clifford can be very effective. He's not going to light you know the whole world on fire, but I think we could see him get back to where he was in 2019 and hopefully make some strides on that. And again, I am so happy they're having spring ball. Hope they do it safely. They had one positive test, according to Sandy Barber, all of the fall season. So I hope for like three weeks in the spring, they're able to keep up that streak and really put in some good work and start really getting this offense down pat so Clifford can build upon this and what we hope would be a very fun, normal fall season. Uh, to, to whatever extent it can be, for sure. Uh, any, any final things uh, in the Penn State sport universe that you would uh, you would be interested in opining on before we I, uh, I do the log sign off here? Um, I usually have something. I don't have much. It's, it's been very quiet um, as of late, which is kind of to be expected in, uh, in ooh, late ooh, January. Ooh. You know what? I, I, I have a question. I'm going to spring your question on you um, that I think a lot of Penn State fans want an answer to. I think it's there. There's a pretty obvious answer to it, and it's one that I don't think anyone wants to hear. Brent Pry keeping his job. Your thoughts? Oh, oh! I, I never want to call for someone to be fired, but don't don't love the fact that he's still our defensive coordinator. Don't don't love it. I I have I have seen this song and dance far too many times to feel comfortable with this. And I will never feel confident late in the fourth quarter, no matter how big the score is, uh, because of what I have seen. Um, it's now or never. This is the last. This is the last chance. I think if Penn State, if Penn State's up against Wisconsin, week one, late in the fourth, and they blow it, I don't think Pry is the defensive coordinator in week two. I think that's how short his leash is going to be. Ooh, I don't know about that, man. Wait, it, I. I think this is something that I said on the pod a few times, and if not, it's definitely something that uh, I n- know that I mentioned uh, just among us as we would talk about uh, this Penn State team. But they were disappointing this year. There is no denying that. Also, I believe they were a top, what was it? I, I think they were in the top 20 or so. Um, Rankings, give me a sec. Again, I'm 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 pulling this up right now as we're uh you, you know as we're trying to give people uh good podcasting content. Boop, boop, boop. They were 14th in defensive SP plus this year. The but, they, but, but, wait 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 wait. They ended the season allowing 17, 7, 24, and 21 points. They righted the ship to whatever extent they could have righted the ship, and then you look at their bad you know they're bad games to start the season that indiana team was really 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 good ohio state is ohio state the maryland game okay listen that was just everything that could go wrong going wrong and then you look at you know a pair of turnovers against uh a pair of turnovers against nebraska they were able to turn into points they held nebraska to 298 total yards that Iowa game, four turnovers really broke that game open. They still held Iowa to under 400 yards. Uh, you look at all of the fundamentals, and I am with you. Like, I am a bit like I find it curious that Penn State kept him around. 
Uh, I wonder how much of that was they knew they were going to make an offensive coordinator change and that was the priority. But it doesn't surprise me that he stuck around because I think when you look at just the numbers, you can explain away a lot of the stuff and the fundamentals of the defense, again, numerically, were pretty pr- pretty solid, pretty reasonable. It's just a very weird situation for me. And the big thing is going to be, you mentioned week one against Wisconsin. Whatever. Like, I don't think he gets fired after that. If Penn State's defense gets off to a slow start to the upcoming season, which I remind you, begins with at Wisconsin and then includes it hosting Auburn. Their first Big Ten game... I can't wait for that Auburn game, man. That's either going to be an absolute blowout or it's going to be uh, uh, like a six-overtime uh, shootout. Regardless, it's going to be very funny. Oh, it, it, it's going to be absolutely hilarious. But you look at all that stuff and you look at the fact that they're going to be hosting a pretty fun FCS program in there in Villanova. Like... There's a potential that the die is going to be cast before we even get into Big Ten play proper with Brent Pry this year. And that's just something that I've been thinking about all season long, uh, you know, all off season long, about just how that cloud could potentially hang over Penn State football. And it's kind of put up or shut up time with him, man, in that it's really, really, really hard to fathom at least for me, a situation where he again holds on by a thread because I think there's been a decent amount of holding on by a thread with him over these last couple of years. And I really would like to know if James Franklin even entertained the idea at any point this se- any point in the season. Like, not, not even necessarily after the offseason. Like, after the Maryland game, was he thinking about that? After the Iowa game, that sort of thing. So... Again, I get Penn State fans wanting to get rid of him. I don't think anyone would have um, necessarily blamed James Franklin if either he made a move or if Brent Pry nudge, nudge, wink, wink, go took, go took a head coaching job somewhere. But I think, I think he's going to enter next season needing to prove that a lot of the issues that we've seen over the last couple of years can be remedied, Matt. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if this can be remedied. Like he, he's great coaches win when they're supposed to win elite coaches win when they're not. And I don't think we've outside of really one game we've ever seen a Brent pride defense help Penn state win a game. They're not supposed to win. And I, I don't think the same thing can be said for, for what we saw from Joe Moorhead. Uh, going back to those days. And I granted, it's probably unfair to compare him uh, to want him to be the defensive version of Joe Moorhead. But still, again, it's it's now or never this. If the same problems persist, it's something that cannot be fixed and it's time to make a change then. Yeah, yeah, I I, 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 I think that's fair. Um it, 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 again, it's something that I would have loved to pick James Franklin's brain about it at some point, but uh, I, I understand that that that's probably one of those in the past things moving forward, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think that is everything, Matt. 
let's uh w- w- let's end this podcast and then go watch ooh ooh Blazers Rockets is incredibly good. I'm going to go watch that. Uh Matt, thank you for coming on. Sorry, I was muted. Uh I am checking the score of the uh Memphis SMU game. Um and I think you can guess why. Real bad. Uh no, I have I have placed some hard-earned American <laughs> dollars on the game. So uh that is beyond the point. Uh, because we are like 300 days in this stupid quarantine and I just need something to entertain myself. Well, I, I believe, uh, TCU Kansas was something like 19 to 17 and a half times. So if you want something to do, you can do that. Uh, thank you very much. Bill, I have placed currency on that game as well. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that after. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. Make sure you're subscribing to this podcast on all mediums where podcasts are available. If you're going into Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Uh, make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that, of course, is to make sure you're picking up some shirts from our store. And, of course, follow us on all of our various social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, all that fun, happy crap. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filippovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Dow Jones up 0.2%.